Hey folks, it's Jared. Nate Miller is back as host, editor, and producer today, and he has Dr. Rosemary Richardelli discussing the threat ill-fitting immersion suits pose to women's seafarers. Here at SimSec, we aim to further international maritime peace and security through an exchange of ideas and the rigor of critical thought and writing. If you haven't already, please check out simsec.org for new articles on the most important maritime topics. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion, check out the Write for Simsec tab to learn how you can submit articles for publication. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the Simsec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pile of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, Kimber's men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Hello and welcome aboard the Sea Control Podcast. I'm Nathan Miller. My guest today is Rosemary Richard Deli, and we are discussing her article that she co-authored with the late Dr. Heather Carnahan for the Journal of Maritime Research. Their piece is entitled Ethnographic and Lived Experience of Cold Water Immersion, the Compromised Survival of Women at Sea Due to Ill-Fitting Immersion Suits. Rosemary, welcome aboard. Could you please tell the listeners a little bit about your background, please? Sure. Um, Thank you for having me, Nathan. It's a real pleasure to do this. So I'm kind of just venturing into the area of um, seafarers, wellness, mental health and wellness. I'm at Memorial University's Fisheries and Marine Institute. I hold a research chair at the rank of professor in um, safety, security and wellness. And historically, a lot of my research is centered around public safety groups and essential service providers. So everything from nursing to police to particularly, um, I do a lot of work in correctional services. And I've been slowly moving into the field, starting by doing the training and, you know, getting a mariner's license, all these kind of things and getting certified to go to sea. As I'm looking to explore more, um, I've done some work with Coast Guard and search and rescue, but I'm looking to get further into that space. So this is one of the first collaborations. It actually, sadly, is kind of like the first and the last collaboration that Heather and I were able to do together, given her passing last September. But um, but this is this is kind of where our research is going. Thank you. Um, and as a reminder to our listeners, uh, all opinions expressed here are strictly our own and not reflective of any of the institutions with which we might be otherwise associated. Rosemary, I have to say I was very surprised when I saw uh, your piece and and a bit appalled, to be frank. Uh, so can you please give the listeners a little bit of context about uh, your piece and kind of how it came about? Um, basically, I have this interest in going to sea for 21 days as an autoethnography where I understand how um, boats, which are confined spaces, are a source of freedom and perhaps a source of consequence at the same right. So I wanted to kind of take some of the stuff that I've learned in doing studies of other confined spaces or living spaces and apply it to seafarers. And um, when I first started the training, what became very paramount and it sort of com- constituted a different paper was that seafarers are first responders. They are on any ship. They are on the muster list. They are assigned to duty and they are responsible for the safety and well-being of those on board. They are trained in fire. They are trained in paramedicine. They are trained in security. They are trained to to preserve life at sea. So with that, and given that I do so much work with first responder and public safety professions, 
Um, I was very surprised that when we don't recognize seafarers in light of the extreme risk that underpins their job and they're battling elements at times that we have no control. Nature is something above and beyond anything that we're dealing with. And this was also, you know, we're in COVID. Things are things are quite challenging. We're aware of all the problems seafarers were facing as they were confined on boats with illness. We know about cruise ships. We know about, you know, cargo ships where all this stuff's going on. So it was one that lack of recognition was really trying. And then when we when I started doing the training, I recall the first time I did the cold water immersion. I don't know if I've ever been that cold and not cold while I was in the water and in the suit, cold when the suit just filled with water, but I didn't understand where it was coming in. And then it was after when I was sitting and I'd removed the suit and we were sitting doing training on the the sides of the, the immersion pool, I guess, that it was freezing, absolutely freezing. And I was just completely shivering. And I thought, okay, this is, this is insane. Like it just, the fact that these are supposed to be these kind of tight suits and mine was a small, it was supposed to fit me properly. And it was, was a relatively new suit. So um, it was after that. And I can speak more about the different ways that the suit was actually a hindrance to safety. But I, I, I called up Heather that evening, like I normally did at the time. And I was like, damn, like, I was like, I am cold. And um, we were talking and then I learned that you know, the the few years prior when she did that exact same training, she had the same experience. And we're very different. Like we're both um, shorter women. She's a couple inches taller than me, but we have a very different um, body type. So I'm relatively petite, like 100 pounds wet, where she is slightly bigger and a bit stockier in frame. So we have two women with different body types who are experiencing the same challenges with the suits, which we found I found very, um, very trying. And, and thus we started looking at, you know, there's so few women as seafarers, even fewer who are not in service roles on ships. Well, how are we supposed to attract women to a field where we don't do what, like they all need a custom suit, which they're not going to get. So what are we going to do in the event of a need to abandon ship? So you kind of mentioned, how do we bring more women into the industry? Um, this may be a little off of your research here, but have you found that this kind of thing is playing a role as far as uh, women participating in shipping? I don't actually know. I don't know if they know that this is going to be a challenge till they're there. And I recall when I did the training, there were a few other women who were doing the training with me and all of us were wet in certain areas. So it was really female anatomy was not being acknowledged in the suit because there, you know, what was happening is that the front would open up with buoyancy and you'd get water around the face. So, and it wasn't just me, like the men were dry. Like there wasn't a wet man. If they were wet, it was a little bit around the neck, like on the collar of their shirt, where women, we were wet. So it was, it was just really interesting. So, and, and that, that begs the question, like in the case of ship abandonment, we're not going to survive because we don't have the additional protections that other people will have unless we have a custom suit, which is extremely expensive. And it's also challenging. I want to go to sea for 21 days. I don't necessarily want to go buy a, a customized suit, but how else do I get my family to support that endeavor? So that kind of speaks to uh, the term that you used in, in the in the paper a number of times was uh, emotional labor. Um, can you speak a little bit uh, to that and, and kind of how that how you see that playing a role? 
Sure. Well, one of the things with emotional labor, there's um there's different types of acting that come with emotional labor. So there's deep acting and then there's surface acting. And it, the the challenge is when you're already in a course or you're already on ship and you're trying to already do things and you're a minority in terms of your gender and you're a minority in terms of your experience, you want to present well. So there's a lot of effort that's already going into ensuring that you present with the capacities, the abilities, the efficiencies that are necessary to do your job and to ensure that other people too feel safe. Because as a first responder role, which would be anyone who's on ship, you know, other people's security also depends on your competencies. So you're presenting well, but then you have this other layer that makes it much more challenging because for example, if you're, you know, pulling up a ladder and you're wearing a suit and, you know, the feet are six times bigger than they need to be in the three finger gloves, you, you can't grab things properly. You're dealing with additional competencies that other people aren't struggling with. And that was really, really challenging. So there was all the kind of the, the, the normal motive, emotional acting that we do to present, to learn, to be, to do. And then there was also trying to balance and overcome the challenges. Cause you know, even if you slip and lose your footing, it, it looks like an incompetency rather than a uh, reality uh, rooted in equipment. So that's kind of what we were talking about in the paper about that additional burden that other persons, if the suit fit, you would still like you'd struggle with any suit and any piece of equipment has its pluses and its minuses, right? But you know, Heather really spoke of um I I have very long arms and I'm I wasn't I'm not as heavy. So pulling myself up on the ladder was the challenge wasn't um wasn't as much my grip. But for Heather it was really challenging. She has very petite hands and then with the three finger like she was just unable to hold on. And then you don't know where your foot goes. And then also you have all this extra weight so I was carrying an extra 20-30 pounds of water at least it felt like that which is really challenging like when I did the jumps which you need to jump off etc the three meters like I went way down and then it was extra because I didn't want the buoyancy to make me flip and look incompetent so it was so much extra effort and as much as I'm trying to do the skill I'm also trying to present well and present as competent and not look like some kind of fool right I guess I'm trying to understand you know, obviously this is a problem. If, if this is happening to one or two people, it's, it's a big deal. But uh, as far as the scale goes, have you been able to see uh, how much of a, of an issue this is across uh, the people that you've spoken with or uh, any sense of scale here? No, we're, we're trying to do that right now. So um, I have a qualitative project going on. It's We call it Life at Sea. But the, the challenge is there's so few women. It's really difficult to, to find a collective group of women to talk to about the challenges they face. So, you know, in, in our sample of 36 people, there are no women. Right. So it's it's really complicated. Like you're looking at a very, very small percentage of women who are working in the seafarer industries or the maritime industries. So um, one of the one of the things that we were looking at doing is um, perhaps doing some assessments every time people go in and take the courses at the Offshore Safety and Survival Center to just look at how wet they are afterwards and how and who is experiencing in water and what zones. But that, of course, research does take time. And there is the requirement of, you know, 
of organizing and going through and figuring out and putting it together and to acquire the funding. But it is something we really do want to look at moving forward. And I say we because it was something Heather and I did speak about. So the ideas do, you know, there are rooted in the realities that we had experienced. And just because she has passed does not mean she's any less influential in the direction that this research will go in. So it's preliminary. As I said, I just kind of vent, I'm just venturing into this field. It's only been a year and a bit. So um, just waiting and gaining the insight and putting together what we need in order to get the knowledge necessary to make it a safer space. Obviously, in the piece, you don't have, uh, uh, I guess, a, solid, a section on hard recommendations for the maritime industry. But speaking from what you've gathered, do you see any way forward or any way to uh, fix this issue for folks? Don't understand why we can't, why we need a jumbo, uh, I think it's called normal or average or whatever, and a small and a kid suit. Why can't we have a women's suit? And why can't it come in multiple sizes? Like we don't need just three sizes of suits. And also maybe we don't want to call people jumbo if they're large. Like that, that may be nice. I would not like to be jumbo. Yeah, that's certainly understandable. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we can look at, you know, some some way of uh, modernizing suits and maybe have a little bit more, um, a few different sizes. And uh, last question for you here. Is there anything that you feel like I've missed or anything that you want to add? Something that you feel like the listeners should hear and understand about uh, about your work? Um, I think... One of the things I would say is I think we um, we shy away from understanding the occupational stress injuries that are tied to being at sea and the mental health and wellness of our seafarers. And we know it's a very dangerous occupation. We know that people who are working offshore are particularly at risk of a variety of different things and accidents are very, very common. And maybe one of the things we need to do, um, and I've already started to see this, there still seems to be a really vast stigma about disclosing concerns tied to physical, social, or mental health. And maybe if we can increase awareness and start talking about it, we can make it a safer place and reduce some of these stress injuries or occupational injuries, occupational health and safety injuries that are happening at sea. We can make it slightly safer. You know, the elements are already dangerous enough. So why don't we make it a bit easier to navigate them by giving people what they need in order to be safe? Because we are entirely dependent on our um, seafaring populations for so many things in life. So what I think it's the onus should be on society to one, start to recognize them in the right that they are first responders. They are public safety personnel. They are keeping each other safe on water. And they are the people who are intervening in anything that happens. And then maybe we can equip people in ways that reduce some of the challenges and burdens on self and instead secure that they're in a position to be healthy at sea and to be healthy at home. And, you know, and that will also reduce the stress of the collateral consequences of such on families and loved ones who have to worry when their, their loved ones are at sea because of all these challenges. So I think we can do a lot for a very large population if we really start looking at their wellness in a more collective and comprehensive sense and actually put more supports in for them. And, you know, little things like it might seem little, it's not little, but having proper equipment will ease a lot of concern about physical safety 
And we can't start dealing with mental health and psychological safety until we've ensured that people will stay alive. Because there's there's no one left if physical safety fails to keep psychologically safe. Well, I'm sorry, but that is all the time that we have for today. I would like to thank my guest, Dr. Rosemary Richardelli. Uh, Rosemary, where can we find uh, you online? And you spoke a little bit about this, but uh, I'm going to ask anyway, uh, what do you have coming up next? Well, you'll see a variety. We did a bunch of Coast Guard work about the mental health, the prevalence of mental health disorders and occupational stress injuries among the Coast Guard. Um, doing some life at sea research, continuing that. So those qualitative papers that provide context to um, the challenges faced at sea, you'll be seeing that. And then we have a variety of Coast Guard and search and rescue studies also coming to fruition. And you'll see more work coming out on equipment um, as we continue, including fire equipment, because firefighting is huge at sea. So there's there's lots to come. It just takes time, but not in a hurry. It's more about quality than quantity. So slow and steady. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And to listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.